0: Moms are great. Mother's Day is a nightmare. With the world beginning to reopen, this may be our busiest Mother's Day yet. Yelp for Restaurants is here to help you execute a flawless service. Contactless table management, reservation management, and digital waitlisting tools ensure your diners don't have to wait around in long lines in an era of social distancing. Empower your guests to add themselves to your digital waitlist before they even leave home. Provide accurate wait times and automatically notify them right before their table is ready. Let's get back to business better than ever. Listeners of this podcast get three months of free access to wait lists and $300 of free monthly advertising credits. Visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash Mother's Day to learn more. Now here we go.
1: We always knew that this could be something that could go into a physical location because there's no walls in a virtual space. There's no four walls, so put it in a regular restaurant. So we're here, we've got a bunch of these brands that are almost done, but we're looking at this going, holy shit, in case of emergency break glass, this is the time.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Restaurants within restaurants within restaurants within restaurants. No, this isn't the sequel to the movie Inception. It's the innovative way that the national brand Doghouse has evolved its company over the last two years. It's a lot to take in, but today we chat with Casa Mariaz, who unpacks their unique business strategy to take one restaurant and turn it into five.
1: People see where we're at now and they think there's this master plan and a business plan that got us from point a to where we are now and that's not how it went we set out to open up a hot dog and burger joint and make it amazing like so we had our other restaurants andre had a white tablecloth fine dining jazz club with steaks and 500 old bottles of wine agop and i and two other partners had a small plates mediterranean concept and we Fell in love with the industry. We wanted to open a bar, but we ended up doing restaurants. And along the way, we fell in love with it. And now here we are with our other restaurants and we're thinking, let's do a hot dog concept. What we want to make sure was that it was a restaurant first and foremost. The day we opened our grand opening day, Hoggup started culinary school. And everything that we did early on was just how good can we make this, right? It was just build and make an awesome hot dog restaurant. Don't cut corners, make the food taste great, and hope for success. And pretty early on, we found some success. There was a couple things that felt good to us. Little things like when people would walk in and say, "Wow, you guys are franchise? And we'd look at, it, well, no, we're not a franchise, but it was flattering to think that people thought that it was buttoned up enough or it had a look and feel that it didn't feel like something that was just thrown together. So at that point, I mean, I'm going to jump forward and talk about how we went from our goal, which was to make an amazing restaurant, to where we are today. But a year after we opened the first restaurant, we opened the second one. And that second one was the Beer Garden. And that one, we introduced craft beer. We introduced the bar, same menu. And then six months later, we opened our third restaurant. So 18 months, three restaurants. Growth was there and plans started happening. Like, okay, how are we going to do this? What do we want to do? we want to go the corporate-owned model or the franchise model? And early on, we all wanted to do corporate-owned. Let's just keep opening great restaurants. And there was a little bit of that trust issue and the fear of losing your integrity, losing the soul, losing the quality, the consistency, trusting your baby in somebody else's hands. But one day, we were talking about it. Actually, one day, my cousin, I was golfing with him, says, Hey, have you ever thought about franchising? I said, yeah, but we're not gonna do it. And I asked, why do you ask? And he goes, oh, I've met somebody that helps people take their concept to franchise. It's interesting, go back, talk to the guys. The sentiment was the same. Like, we don't want to franchise, let's just listen. And at that point, Hogup said something pretty wise. He goes, you know, the funny thing is we're afraid of consistency. And he goes, what's the most consistent thing in the world? He goes, fucking McDonald's. <laughs> he goes, a Big Mac's a Big Mac everywhere. So if done right, it can happen. Well, yeah, good point. We go, we listened to this consultant. We spent eight hours on his couch, went through everything. We walked out and it was almost like it wasn't even a discussion. All of us were on the same page, like we're doing this. And then we went from three stores to now taking all of our tribal knowledge, starting the FDD process, which is, getting all of our tribal knowledge onto paper, operations manuals, just making sure everything is buttoned up. And that was in, we opened our first location in 2014, I believe, in Canoga Park, our first franchise location. And at that point also, when we realized we were franchising it, the gravity of it became so much bigger because it's one thing to take risks with your money, and it's another thing to take risks with other people's money. And so at that point, we felt like more of a responsibility, like everything had to be better, more buttoned up. The basic primitive design that we had, it looked great. We wanted to turn it up a notch. So redesign the space and the culinary, everything was about evolving and getting better and one location and now we're one franchise location and now we're, we're at over 40. So the growth has been pretty
0: great, actually. Let's go back to the very beginning again, because I, I'm very curious about, so to go from one to two, what were the metrics there? Were you already making money with the first one? Did the first one finance the second one? And then same with the third one, because that was a really quick turnaround too. What were the metrics that you guys had decided would determine the growth in those early days?
1: Well, the first one was quite easy. So the first one we opened up and we had our little targets. You know, Can we do this much per day? Can we do this much per day? I still distinctly remember the first day we hit $3,000 in sales. It was early on, and we're like, wow, we got something. We were looking at all of our projections, saying, okay, this is what our rent is. This is something. It's building. Then you get to the point where we're doing some serious sales out of that store. I mean, at one point, we were knocking on the door of $1,000 a square foot, and this is in 2011. So we opened in October, the end of October of 2010. And our growth, I mean, the sales were just going up. And the second store was actually us being very opportunistic. So to answer your question, it was all self-funded, the success of the first, helped with the second, and same with third. But the second store, we were very opportunistic. Andre had a jazz bar I was telling you about in that restaurant. In the back, he had a jazz bar. And there was a liquor license there. There was no kitchen, but we're like, wow, what a cool spot. We always thought, beer and burgers and dogs. I mean, they're just meant to be like, let's take the exact same concept and let's now do a doghouse beer garden, craft beer. So we looked at that spot and said, let's do it. One problem. There's no kitchen. (laughs) Kind of an important piece to have it. So we bought out a little Chinese to go kitchen. That was almost built into the building. We bought them out and put our kitchen in there and started the first beer garden. So it was, Cool to see a small fourteen hundred square foot fast casual go to then a larger restaurant with a big patio, with a full bar. It was pretty cool, and it was successful. At that time, it was doing even better than the first location. Six months later, now we're on growth. We're we're like, hey, let's keep going. At this time, remember, we're still not thinking franchise. Mm
0: -hmm. So we
1: find another restaurant in Alhambra, and we take that over. And that one wasn't a beer garden but that one did have craft beer on tap, four handles of craft beer. So now we've got three different models that we're looking at. So when we got to the point where we're franchising, we're like, this is great. We've got the small 1,400 square foot, a traditional fast casual restaurant. Then we've got this beer garden with a full bar, beer and booze. And then we've got this other restaurant, it's still a doghouse, that has craft beer, but no bar. So Mm -hmm. we've now explored all three formats and We know the pros and cons of both. So when we franchised, we first started with just the doghouse model because we knew that there was other complexities of operating a bar. And let's start with the doghouse model, see where it goes.
0: And customers come in, they say it's really buttoned up and all of that. But was it? I mean, were the three of you able to rely on your past restaurant experience to create a complete concept with, let's call it like the behind the scenes infrastructure? in place to ensure, like, did you have your SOPs done by the time you had opened that initial location? Great question. I see the look on your face. No one else can, but Hell no.
1: <laughs> not even close. Look, when I say buttoned up, it was, everything was clean. Everything was orderly. The look and feel wasn't just slapped together, but we were improving constantly on the culinary side, especially, right? Our food was good. But Hoggup's like a mad scientist where he's just constantly tinkering, tinkering, tinkering. And it just kept getting better and better and better. A fun little story is we first started, our portion control was ridiculous. (laughs) We give an order of tots, you needed a shovel, right? It was like, like, there was no food cost. We weren't really thinking that part through. And then we'd look back and go, ooh, something's out of whack here. Well, how about we do this? So yeah, it started to get where we're like, hey, we're successful. Now let's start to run the business. We're successful in the customer's eyes. Now let's become successful all the way through.
0: Now take me to, let's say, December of 2019. So where are you as a human being? Where is the business collectively? How many locations? What was the overall business health going into the pandemic?
1: It was good. I mean, we were very bullish. I mean, we were excited about where we're at. We've got stores in the pipeline. We're about 35 locations already, and we were a little ahead of the times on this virtual concept, and I'm sure we're going to get to that later, but we were already working with ghost kitchens. We had gone to, Eric and I, head of real estate for us, we'd gone to a real estate symposium where we were sitting with, we were the smallest brand there. Everybody else, there were legacy brands. And somebody asked the question, how many of you have heard what ghost kitchens are? And hands went up and said, how many of you guys are actually participating in them? Two hands went up and it was ours, right? So everybody's looking over like, okay, what's going on here? So we felt like going into 2019, we had plans. We were already working for, oh God, almost a couple of years now on developing virtual concepts. So we were looking at this going, hey, we're we're gonna do some cutting edge shit. We're looking good, we're feeling good about ourselves.
0: Working in the restaurant industry, there's always been plenty to worry about. And over the last year, cleanliness has been front and center in our minds and in the minds of our guests. Your world-class team and world-class patrons deserve world-class protection. Microban 24 Professional kills 99% of viruses and bacteria. It doesn't just sanitize and stop, it keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, even when the surfaces in your restaurant are touched multiple times. And the EPA has approved microband 24 sanitizing spray is effective at killing the virus that causes COVID-19. So you can achieve your most confident clean, touch after touch.
1: And now you can ask the follow-up
0: question. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then 2020 hits and you get slapped square in the face. Oh, picked in the nuts, more like, right? <laughs>
1: it was uh, it was a tough time, to be honest with you. It was humbling. We were terrified. We were resilient. We rolled up our sleeves. The pandemic really did something great for our company. It really brought everybody together. And when I mean everybody, I mean everybody. Our entire franchise system, our franchise partners, it was, okay, here we are. What are we going to do? Like, let's get together. Let's figure this out. We're going to get through this. And we had weekly calls. We set up a separate email for the disaster, right? Like, or the pandemic. Anything that goes, goes straight to here. We have weekly calls where we're going pop to bottom with every department. I think they're like hour, hour and 15 minute calls. And at that time, remember I mentioned we were working on virtual concepts. Right. So we were already thinking and we were already in that space. And we'd already thought that, hey, we always knew that this could be something that could go into a physical location. Because just because you're in a ghost kitchen and it's a virtual concept, There's no walls in a virtual space. There's no four walls. So let's put it in a regular restaurant, right? So we're here. We've got a bunch of these brands that are almost done. Packaging isn't figured out yet. A lot of the culinary is done. But we're looking at this going, holy shit, in case of emergency break glass, this is the time. So we reached out to our franchise partners and said, we have this. It's not finished. It's not swimsuit ready. But (laughs) here's a lifeline you guys want to do it. And most of the franchisees jumped on board and we launched the virtual brands and that really changed things for us.
0: And we'll unpack absolute brands, virtual concepts in just a minute, but did that launch concurrently with a virtual kind of delivery takeout focused doghouse concept as well?
1: Well, when we say the virtual concepts, they were in the brick and mortar spaces. It was Correct. just a new right. So at that time, we were already doing doghouse delivery, right? So okay. when I say delivery by third party, it wasn't you know we don't have our own delivery trucks or anything like that. But it was we were already doing that. This just helped.
0: And then absolute brands. Can you walk me through several of the brands and kind of the inception of that? Sure, God. We have Jailbird.
1: It's a wings concept. Bad Mother Clucker. It's like a Nashville hot chicken. We have. Badass Breakfast Burritos, self-explanatory. huevos <laughs> Diaz. it's like a Tex-Mex breakfast concept. So these were all brands that, all ideas of food that we wanted to do. I mean, the Breakfast Burritos is hoggles obsessed with Breakfast Burritos. But they were going to find a way to make it on our menu one way or another. But we looked at things and said, hey, these are cuisines that we'd like to put out there. But what was important for us was looking at our pre-mix, looking at what we've got in the stores, and saying, we're going to do a brand and create products and menu items that don't sync the franchisee. I think anybody can, if you're an Italian restaurant, maybe it's not that wise to do fa. I mean, you don't have the ingredients. So what the culinary team did, which was brilliant is they said, here's what we already have in our restaurants. Here is the equipment we have. Here's the way doghouse works. Here's the workflow. Now let's create a concept. That has the same quality standards, food tastes great, same operational practices, and let's create these concepts to where, I mean, apart from bringing in a tortilla, there's really nothing else people had to do. It was quite minimal.
0: That's incredible. And what was the response from franchisees and what was the response from the general public once launched?
1: It was great. It went kind of hand in hand, right? So if the franchisees succeed, it means sales are going up and sales are going up. That means customers are liking it. I mean, we had one of the greatest success stories from these Absolute Brands and from this pandemic. We had an operator, amazing operator, great guy, but his store struggled from day one. It was one of our bottom performing stores. Well, the pandemic hits and the Absolute Brands get launched and something about his market, it was just boom, 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 growing. And at one point, he was the number one store in our system. I mean, life-changing. It changed everything from... Struggling to, hey, I want more stores, can I buy more territories?
0: (laughs) That's amazing. And so is that the model moving forward that if you acquire a, a doghouse franchise, that you'll launch these virtual brands as well? If you want to,
1: that's an option. Absolutely. Some people may look at it and go, I'm so busy that I don't need it. Because remember, with these absolute brands, there are other fees that the operator does have to deal with. That's the third party delivery, right? So it's an option and it can be all of them. It can be some of them. It can be none of them.
0: You've been a restaurateur. You got into the restaurant industry, I'm assuming because you love it. And now you're like directly responsible for the livelihoods of all of these franchisees. They bought into your dream as opposed to going and pursuing their own independent concepts. It's got to be a lot of responsibility, huh? Oh, there is. Yeah, Absolutely. And so how do you manage that? How do you manage their expectations? How do you sleep at night and not stress out?
1: <laughs> great questions. Look, I think it's just like anything else you do. You strive to be better today than you were yesterday. And at the end of the day, we were actually given some great advice when we first were considering being a franchisee. It was from the Wetzels, Rick and Elise Wetzel, the founders of Blaze Pizza and Wetzel's Pretzels. They sat us down. And they told us, they said, take your royalty unapologetically, but every penny that you can give back to the franchisees, do that. Don't take rebates. He goes, without successful franchisees, your concept's nothing. And we loved hearing that. And it's such great advice. I mean, we all have heard the horror stories of certain concepts where they're getting rebates on the napkin. Every deal they do, how much is getting kicked back? well, there's only so many points, that's it. And if you take a point here and a point there and a point there, there's not much left for the operator. Our mindset was create this brand, support the franchisee, but everything that we do has to, we think of it as how does it benefit the franchisee? There's some decisions that we've made that we don't love, but we do it because it'll help the operator. For example, we used to have branded cups. We had two different branded cups. A paper cup, and then we had the clear sixteen ounce cup for beer and milkshakes. We're looking at it and we're like, God, I love that branded paper cup. But why can't a soda go in there? Right? So we got rid of the paper cups, so that's where our franchisees have to stock one cup.
0: I would assume that you have really unique insight into what makes a great restaurateur or a great restaurant operator because you work with so many. I would also assume that there's a pretty extreme vetting process when it comes to bringing on a new franchisee. What are those abstract qualities that make a great franchisee, which would translate into, in your opinion, what makes a great restaurant owner or operator?
1: I think within our system, where we see the most successful franchisees are the ones that are there, that are present. So, you know, the saying that a farmer's footsteps are the best fertilizer. That holds true. I mean, the franchisees that are there, and not all of our franchisees, there's some that are there in a different way. They're not necessarily at the cash register, but they are involved. They are very involved in their restaurant. They're involved in their operations. They're involved in their marketing, and they are entrenched in the community in which they serve. So what we found is if you've got, if it's in you to want to be a part of your community, then everything else will come naturally. Yeah, it's a marketing ploy, but if it's done genuinely, we have a franchisee out here in um, Canoga Park. And during this pandemic, you go drop off boxes and boxes of badass breakfast burritos for the nurses. And it was a thank you. It was done genuinely. And the nurses then are taking pictures, posting on Instagram. Thank you so much, Doghouse. You know, support these guys. But those are the kind of operators that find success.
0: One of the reasons I was excited to have you on the show is because you're a forward thinker. I read a white paper that you had written on the opportunities looking forward and how we're all kind of taking a second look at what is an ideal location for a restaurant and how that's being redefined over time. Can you talk to me about your evolution and thought process and how you've redefined what that perfect location looks like and opportunities that you see in the future? Absolutely.
1: The funny thing about a perfect location is a perfect location, in my opinion, is a unicorn. (laughs) There's always something, right? So you could find the perfect location, but this isn't just right, or that isn't just right. So the perfect location pre-pandemic was a freestanding building with ample parking. could have a small patio. It was on a busy street where there was no problems with egress, no issues with the left hand turn. All those little things were all the textbook, great. Sites. And then if you didn't do freestanding, if you're in a development, the co-tenants are great. Got great generators, got a lifestyle kind of where everybody has to go in there two, three times a week. Those were all sites that would check the box of a good location. Now the pandemic comes. And with the absolute brands and things going through DSP and third-party delivery or delivery service providers, suddenly the real estate isn't as important. Because if I'm sitting at home and I'm ordering doghouse from my couch, Do I care if it's on main and main or if it's offbeat? So that being said, the real estate became a little less important during the complete shutdown. But we all know that that's not going to be there forever. so, So real estate still matters. Good locations still matter. But now when we're looking at sites, we're also looking at, is there ample parking right by the front door that we could say for drivers only? Is there a large patio? And not only is there a large patio, is the patio where it's visible? So you've got some great restaurants before. You didn't care if the patio was on the back end. Now you're looking at it going, whoa, this is on the busy street. Let's get a large patio. Because if there's ever a shutdown again, you can come in there. And as we all know, patios were open. So those are some of the things that allowed us to kind of look at things a little differently.
0: When you look to 2021, what opportunities do you see before you? What are you excited about? What are you guys looking for? What are the goals that you have for the rest of the year? Wow, we've got
1: to continue developing. That's absolutely on our to-do list. We've got our pipelines there. We've got over 20 locations that we're going to be developing in, uh, in 10, 15 more states. I mean, we're definitely growing. We're looking forward to that. But we're also looking forward to growing our presence in the ghost kitchen space. So we've got new ghost kitchens opening up. So there's that. And then we can't wait for life to return back to normal. We were in live nations and concert venues. Those ended up being great successes. And actually, right before the pandemic, we spoke to them. They're like, hey, we want to double your presence. And in some cases, even triple because multiple locations within an arena. So those are all things that we know are going to come back. And we'd love to add
0: that to our current growth. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any words of advice or encouragement that you'd like to share? One is don't be afraid to try something
1: new. If there's something that you think it could fill a void, explore it. Give it a shot. Don't be afraid of failure because you're not going to know if you don't give it a try. And the other thing I would say is try to innovate, not for the sake of innovation, but to actually push the envelope of what you can do. Because if you're always just looking at what everybody else has done, you're going to do more of the same. So don't be afraid to think outside and say, I'm going to, look at this in a different way and see if i can come
0: up with something that's casa mariaz for more on his projects go to doghouse.com if you want to tell us your story hear previous episodes or check out our other content go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp thank you so much for listening to the show you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts while you're there please leave us a review A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.